4, January 11th, 2010. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 80, not a disco stew episode. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Coming in from the East Coast, not the crazy left coast where Matt Rather inhibits who lives in a time warp where he can't watch the Simpsons episode, it's your substitute <laughs> host, Mark Lee. That's right, Matt Rather lives in the second-class citizen world of the East Coast. They didn't get to watch The Simpsons in time to record the podcast, so I'm hosting tonight. Mark Lee, that's right. We're going to talk about The Simpsons' 20th anniversary episode, all things Simpsons-related, various you know, facets of Homer and Lisa and Marge and all the other members of the family. Um, Let's just get right into it. We're going to talk about our reactions to the episode that we just saw and also our just general thoughts about the Simpsons and kind of wrapping up uh, the Simpsons theme week, overthinking it, as we call it. <laughs> um, but with the question for the panel tonight, what, if anything, could get you to stop watching The Simpsons? I know that's a kind of a scary thing to think about, a world in which you don't watch The Simpsons, um, either when it's on in reruns or new episodes. But what would it take for you to make you to stop watching The Simpsons? First up in alphabetical order, all is right in the world from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Mr. Peter Fenzel. Woohoo! Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Two words, two words for you. Neil Rackers. If there's one man that can make me stop watching The Simpsons, it's Neil Rackers. The kicker for the Saint, uh, for the for the Arizona Cardinals who shanked his field goal at the end of the game today, so the game was extended for fifteen minutes in overtime, so we couldn't watch the beginning of the Simpsons. <laughs> he is a force of nature. He's like the the, the the one son that defeats the world, the North Wind in his battle for the man to take off his coat, um, which is one of my favorite parts of the movie Michael. Um, so yeah, I actually I only resolved to start watching The Simpsons pretty much for this episode. So Neil Rackers was the man who was able to get me to stop watching The Simpsons <laughs> after I had resolved to watch it. No, Simpsons was actually forbidden in my home when I was growing up. I think I brought it up on the podcast before. Um, I was forbidden because it glorified ignorance, and that was not a value my parents wanted to support. Um, no, to clarify, so, your parents thought that a glorified ignorance. Or is that up to um, Well, I mean, that was the reason, yeah. I mean, that, that was the reason why it was forbidden. I mean, you can then argue whether or not, A, the reason was valid, or B, like, um, the, the, the premise that we're working from in the first place, that the Simpsons did organize, they did uh, uh, you know, promote ignorance, whether that was actually true, right? Is, this, is the premise true? Is the reaction to it true? Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to criticize my, the ability that my parents had for parenting their children. My therapist just heard much more of it than the overthinking <laughs> listeners. But that's okay. I mean, I love my parents. They did a great job. They created an awesome dude who, who is like almost 30 years old and writes about movies on the internet. Uh, great. <laughs> Mission <laughs> and my little ponies. What? Mission, you know, <laughs> Mission accomplished. High five. Um, yeah. So I think I'm going to stick with Neil Rackers. I think that that was a pretty ugly field goal. And uh, I think that if, if somebody is trained professionally to kick a ball and they can't kick it, I think it can stop a lot of things from happening. And that's sort of the lesson <laughs> as the world turns this evening. Okay. So. That's Peter Fenzel on his reason why, uh, on what would make him Don't stop. Give him my middle name. You give up, you give him my middle name, Mark. Now, now they can use their powers on me. Like oh, it hurts C. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other F word on the podcast that we need to bleep out, right? All right. Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, so and a crazy his name isn't uh, Peter Stenzel. Now I'm actually going to have to go back and bleep that out. Okay, thanks. For that. Yeah. Sorry. Right. No more spoilers or Pete's middle name or curse words in this podcast going out because I'm only going to bleep out those two things. Okay. Now, anyway, um, right. in a strange twist of fate, the host is in the middle of the alphabetical order for asking questions since uh, rather, you know, with the W is on the left coast and left behind. So my, what would stop me from watching The Simpsons, actually, uh, it, it would take a lot in some ways, and that would be for a major change in the voice actors. If I heard somebody on The Simpsons who didn't sound exactly right, and that would really kind of ruin it all for me. And this is something we thought about, we've emailed back and forth a lot about in the Overthinking It Back channel, um, which is what would happen if one of the major voice actors died. And we thought that they would just pretty much, it almost guaranteed that they would at least try to replace, you know, have, have auditions for that. But uh, I think that the, the, the bar that someone would have to pass would be so incredibly high that so many people, perhaps myself included, would hear an ersatz Homer or Marge or anyone and be immediately turned off by that. Hey, Mark, do you, uh, would you watch a Muppet movie if it came out today? Maybe. And I know where you're getting at this because Jim Henson obviously is no longer with us. And the, well, and right, except, except in robot zombie form. But of course, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, he's not, he's not around anymore. So, I mean, because when they changed Kermit's voice, I recognized it, and it definitely creeped me out a little bit. Um, definitely. I mean, that's the closest analog to if they were to change one of the Simpsons' voices, right? If the sort of machine needed to keep on going and they just put somebody else in the role. Right. But I would argue that at this point now, uh, compared to when... Uh, when Jim Henson died, that The Simpsons is far more of a cultural force, and that especially the voice of Homer is far more important than the voice of Kermit the Frog. Maybe going out a bit of a limb there, but I'm going to go ahead and say that. You're saying The Simpsons are more important to the culture than the Muppets, right now. That yes. is a, that is a tall order. That is a tall order, my friend. You are you are you are setting up a pretty Titanic clash of the Titanic uh, <laughs> felt and animated puppets, Titans. Tennessee Titans. I don't even know. There is also there's a big difference between a, an ongoing TV show and a series of movies. Like yes, mm. yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I might if if uh, if you had an Arizona Homer and they came out with a, a Simpsons special like five years later, I'd probably watch that special. But to go on and like every Sunday night, like to go right right from that to this in so little time, right? It would uh, it would be a little bit hard, I would say. Yeah, I will say though that. In the Morgan Spurlock documentary that followed the episode, when they went to Comic-Con to, to find the ultimate Simpsons fan, the guy that they brought on with the, uh, that did the impressions was eerily spot on. Now, granted, that was <laughs> for about like a five-second, uh, maybe a 10-second ten, ten segment, and that, I don't know how it would spool out over an entire episode, but at least that part where he did Marge and Homer really blew me away by how dead on he was. But hopefully we won't have to face that unfortunate reality of a Simpsons voice actor dying anytime soon. Um, but anyway, that's what it would take for me is a, kind of a, a significant uh, you know, departure from the voices that we know and love. What you heard from before is Mr. Jordan Stokes, also in my borough of Brooklyn and city of New York. How's it going, Jordan? It's going quite well. Great. And what would it take to make you stop watching The Simpsons? You know, I've given this a lot of thought. As you know, the show goes on and everyone says it's not good anymore and I keep watching it. And 
I think that I've decided the day that I'm going to say, okay, The Simpsons has jumped the shark and I'm no longer going to watch this is the day that they give Disco Stew his own episode. Has <laughs> <laughs> that happened like, yet? No, it hasn't happened yet. I'm like, we, we've had some like some Seymour Skinner episodes, a bunch of Krusty episodes, Sideshow Bob episodes, whatever. That's all fine. We've had some Patty and Selma episodes, basically a Troy McClure episode, which was good. But, you know, if we, if we ever have a uh, – and we've had a Groundskeeper Willie episode, which was pretty close. But the day we get a Disco Stew episode, I'm going to like – I'm going to say I'm done and I'm going to walk away. The reasoning behind that, I would I would assume that if they're reaching that low, that down to the bottom of the barrel of minor characters in The Simpsons, then they really run out. Is that yeah, the idea? Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, unpack that just a little bit there. What is it specifically about Disco Stew that is so weird? <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. This is this isn't a frivolous question because Disco Stew is a great great joke the first time that he shows up, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But he's a character that's created purely as a joke. And the idea of getting into Disco Stew's motivations and interiority and, like, what what Disco Stew wants out of life would destroy that joke in retrospect. (laughs) Like, I I was even even a little bit annoyed the the time that they had him come back and it's explained why he's Disco Stew is that Homer, uh, wait, what was it? There's like he's like he's like he's some some other kind of music, and then he gets turned on to disco. One of their like in the past episodes, and even that kind of bothered me because I really liked him just being out there. I guess really what I'm saying is that it's not that I'm worried about the beauty of The Simpsons being polluted by a Disco Stew episode. Is that I'm worried about the beauty of Disco Stew being polluted by a Disco Stew episode? <laughs> <laughs> now let me ask: what what has there been a Duffman episode? Because there's kind of a you know Duffman as a character is pretty much a joke as well too. Right. I think there was a Duffman episode where like Duffman gets replaced. And... So I just, I, you dropped out there for a second, Jordan, one more time. Oh, it sounds like we're losing Jordan. Okay. Pete, are you still with me? Yeah, I'm still with you, but that freaking Neil, uh, Neil Rackers made me not participate in the podcast for 15 minutes by missing another field goal. So <laughs> I'm going to have to jump back in where I fit in. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I agree with Jordan pretty strongly. And I think that the, uh, the special definitely reflected like this big problem with Simpsonsology, right? And one of the big problems with Simpsonsology is that people, they, they, they miss what makes, they miss what makes the Simpsons good. They, they mistake the icing for the cake. They mistake the gravy for the steak. They're like, they like the Simpsons because of like disco stew and like, because of, you know, and not groundskeeper Willie, but like when you looked at that special and they talked about the huge proliferation of supporting characters, mm-hmm. like they are supporting characters because they're supposed to support something. Like they're not supposed to hold the whole thing on top of themselves. Right. And so like, it, it's like, it's sort of like how the lightsaber fights don't make star Wars. Awesome. You know, like star Wars is awesome. And the lightsaber fights are sort of, you know, part of the manifestation of that awesomeness. They sort of, when they show in in just the right amount of dosage, like, they make it more awesome. They, like, give us something to point to and anchor on as awesome. But they aren't the actual meat of the awesome, which is what, uh, why Phantom Menace isn't awesome, despite it having more lightsaber fights than any of the other previous Star Wars movies. I, I agree with that, but again, we're, we're, we're mixing TV and movies here. And... Oh, come on, Mark. Don't be, don't, don't be like that. I'm just using it as a hypothetical example. I can use another example from television if you want. You know, it's like like the Constructicons, for example, or like Transformers <laughs> that combine into larger Transformers, right? So no, like, hold on, like hold on. the Constructicons. 
What? Oh, hold on a second here. What, what I'm specifically referring to, though, and this may this is probably something we need to come back to and cover in a moment, is this idea that you know, with television, especially something that has gone as long as 20 episodes, that um, you know you're going inevitably to keep it going and keep it interesting. You are going to have to mine those minor characters for something, you know, for a, a, you know, perhaps give them their whole episode. And I'm not going to say that that's necessarily the, the, uh, too bad of a thing. So anyway, I, I, I dispute this definitely. I think that you, there's no reason why doing a show for 20 years should force you to do anything differently. Um, mm. it, it, the reasoning is that these shows are repetitive. They're formulaic. I mean, you, you can do, you can do like seasons upon seasons of family matters. And like, yeah, maybe at one point you have to introduce Stefan or Kel, but like, think about, think about the show family matters, for example, like family matters does not have the huge, um, arena of supporting characters that the Simpsons has. And it ran for a pretty long time. Um, now they find new variations and new ways of exploring the existing characters, but is it that all of a sudden would it become really unwatchable if like family matters, like, you know, I guess what, if they didn't introduce Waldo Fado's girlfriend, you know, like, is that really necessary? Is it not necessary? Like, how much can you get done with six characters versus a hundred? You know, uh, I mean, like, how many, look at other shows that have lasted a really long time. Like, in Walker, Texas Ranger, like, how much of a huge supporting cast did Walker, Texas Ranger need to do whatever, like, 11 or 12 seasons? Married with Children, another example of a show that lasted forever, but you never had to go back and have an episode totally focused on that other guy who was in No Ma'am. You know what I mean? Like, like it's about Al Bundy. It's just, this is the same thing. Humans have been entertaining each other for thousands of years. And just because The Simpsons has been around for 20 of those years doesn't mean that all of a sudden we have to throw up our hands and reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? Like, Homer's a great character. You can watch as much Homer as you can take. You know, like, and I think that's what we've proven through 450 episodes. <laughs> we can watch as much Homer as we can take. You don't have to add anything else. Like, it just be Homer, and it's fine. You know okay. what I mean? Well, I mean, yeah, you find gimmicks to justify your existence, but... To say that uh, to say that you can't uh, get by just on Homer is, is like I mean yeah you're right that's not true but I do understand being in that writer's room the temptation to do an episode that's all about Seymour Skinner must be really immense because like oh, yeah. well yeah like you can think of another thing for Homer to do but let's say you have to go in on Monday and you've got to think of something for Homer to do. Like that's literally your job. That's going to begin to destroy you after a while. Right. Like, and, uh, and then you've got the Seymour Skinner guy who has this compelling relationship with his mother. That's maybe a lot more psychologically interesting than, uh, than Homer's relationship with beer. And you write the, the, the Skinner episode and everyone else in the writer's room is also a little sick of Homer. And they're like, that's great. And then once the, you know, once you've looked on the face of the beast, you can't unlook at it, right? Which is why I really do think it's probably only a matter of time before we get that Disco Stew episode. Yeah, I yeah, I no, can't. I agree with you. Okay, well, we'll probably need to come back to this larger conversation about, you know, The Simpsons and what makes it good versus what makes it not good. But for now, I want to focus specifically on the 20th anniversary episode that we just saw. And mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that it was kind of underwhelming at face value as an episode of The Simpsons, but there was definitely an interesting sort of meta subtext going on, um, as an, basically as a crusty show, as an allegory for The Simpsons itself. And I wanted you guys to take a stab at explaining that. Well, I'll go. Well, why don't you jump in on it? Because you guys came up with this idea before I dialed in on my cell phone because my headset's <laughs> working. So why don't you guys get started on that idea? Okay, take it away, Jordan. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, the the Krusty show is supposed to be the Simpsons show, 
And the little gag where uh, he says, well, what if I don't like it? Uh, well, we'll replace you. And they have people doing crusty impressions, right? That's sort of replacing the voice actors, which is something that has been uh, hinted at whenever they get uppity and want a new contract, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole transformation of the of uh, Krusty and the Itchy and Scratchy show into the Unicorn Hour for Girls is a reference to the supposed drop in quality of The Simpsons over the past, like, 10 years or so, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the diehard Simpsons fans who have been watching from day one and are likely to say things like, worst episode ever, they're represented by Bart and Milhouse sitting there in front of the TV with a pillow over their ears and a blindfold on, being like, I can't watch this, this is so horrible, but they're still sitting there and watching it, right? Right, and how would right. you explain, then, the part where Bart goes to fish out Krusty the Clown from the uh, from the dumpster. I guess that's him. It's the the kind of sentiment that we get from uh, from like that guest post that we had on Purple Monkey Dishwasher, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're saying like, "Oh, the show could be good again if only they it would return to their, to their core values," yeah. right? Um, and I think that kind of what the Simpsons are are saying with the Anne Hathaway character, in a, in a weird way, is that what we're doing now, there are people that like that too. And we would rather, like, we, we are Krusty the Clown. We're going to marry Anne Hathaway. And uh, we're going to be a terrible husband to her. And the stuff that we're going to be doing is maybe, like, not all that great. But it's better to do that than to say, you know what, I'm no good for you. Like, you need to go live your life in a Parisian cafe and we're going to cancel the show. Right? That, that was sort of the message I took from it. Is that, like, we're just going to keep on making this product that, yeah, we understand a lot of you have problems with. But we think that it's better to keep on doing it because it is making Lisa happy. Right, like she loves the unicorn show. Well, and the counterpoint to that, if, if I if I'm not mistaken, is the the rather seemingly pointless nuclear recruitment subplot, like the B plot where Homer tries to get lured away from his job and ends up keeping it because he wants a donut. Right, is like so. On, on one hand, there's like, oh, we're not going to keep making the Simpsons the same way anymore, and some people are going to like it, some people aren't going to like it, but that's kind of just the way it is. On the other hand, it's like, oh, like we can give you all these fancy new things. We can give you all these revisions to what you what you could be watching right now. But what you really want is the same old Homer eating a donut. So, like, let's show you Homer eating a donut because that's what you want to see. Right? Perhaps so the uh, perhaps the Capital City nuclear plant is supposed to be the Family Guy, right? Like, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. I guess I don't know. Do you think the Do you guys think the Family Guy is a legitimate like? Um, I don't want to say competitor because it's clearly a competitor. But like, and I, and I mean. If the Family Guy, if Family Guy does sort of usurp the role of The Simpsons and the culture, um, I mean, I see it more as an instance of Luke Skywalker cutting off Darth Vader's head and becoming Darth Vader. Like, it's not really necessarily like a meaningful failure of The Simpsons model. It's just that somebody else came along and also did it. You know, yeah. and then so, so, but is it really this idea that somebody else is, I guess they see them as foreigners. Like the people who make The Simpsons probably see the Family people, Family Guy people as on the outside, right? Um well, I don't I, know. I, I mean, I, what do you I, think? Like, do you think the Family Guy actually represents a new paradigm, or is it just like maybe the next show that's sort of the same? You know what I mean? Well, I think that as it actually is, it's quite different. But because it's different in that way, it really isn't a serious threat to what the Simpsons are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I would say that the Simpsons right now is lar- I mean, again, you know, I'm sorry, not the Simpsons, the Family Guy right now. And granted, I haven't seen a ton of Family Guy recently, but what I have seen recently is. By and large, a collection of, you've heard this criticism before, throwaway pop culture references, fart jokes, um, gratuitous violence, and just general gross-out humor. Um, and that is the real driver of the show as opposed to what you see with The Simpsons, which is supposedly a slightly more complex 
um, you know, satire of American uh, of American values and the family structure. So, fair? so, Jordan, what do you think about the Cleveland show? That seems to be pretty at odds with your uh, aesthetic judgment of the Simpsons supporting characters. Uh, you know what? I haven't really watched the Cleveland show. I watched one episode <laughs> of it. Um, yeah, it's it's a different model, right? Yeah, I think I think it seems like the Cleveland show seems to me to be like, you know what? We're just going to make this abomination. <laughs> We're just going to put it out there. <laughs> and like, we don't really care if nobody watches it because people don't watch TV anymore. <laughs> like download it on Hulu or something. I don't care. In like, a way, the, the Cleveland show is like, it's one of the Family Guy's cutaway gags, right? Because it's like, it's a reference to back when people used to spin off sitcoms from other sitcoms kind of all the time. And like the right. opening credits to the Cleveland show are hilarious in the way that yeah. they like, they hit all of the notes that that kind of sitcoms opening credits would have. But then, yeah, the art check for that is what Rhoda, right? Would be like Rhoda, the Mary Tyler Moore spinoff, or something sure, like that. Sure, sure. Or like, yeah. um, or what is it? The Jeffersons is the spinoff of Sanford and Son, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, All in the Family has some connection to one or two of those, or something like that. Um, anyway, like the, the larger punchline is that the Cleveland Show actually exists, and you could spend half an hour every week watching it, right? <laughs> <laughs> And then the joke is on you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, let, let's let's get back to the to the episode um, that we just saw on hand for a moment. And Jordan, when you explained the kind of the the meta or allegorical interpretation of it, I definitely, I, I, I it opened up a new appreciation for me of that episode. I'm still not quite sure if that's what I wanted to see, or if that was the most you know entertaining way for The Simpsons to go about its 20th anniversary episode. I mean, to me, I think it was a. I, I, really, I really didn't like it much. I mean, I can understand the allegory, and it's interesting enough, and I maybe even agree with their message. But it seems to me as like it's a very self-obsessed way to go about. It was, it was defensive, right? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, not even so defensive. Like, I mean, it's not mean spirited or anything, but it comes from a place that's like deeply, deeply concerned with what people's opinion of The Simpsons is. And things that like, oh, we're going to have something that's a, a satire of American pop culture. What's the most important thing going on in American pop culture? Chat rooms about The Simpsons' decline in quality. Hmm. is like, that's what they thought was worth devoting their time to. And I mean, it just sort of like, it's not that interesting, right? There are better things you could be doing. Yeah, like, are you talking about that hours-long special that came after The Simpsons episode? I was talking about just the episode itself. Uh, oh, the hour-long no. special is like it's the same phenomenon. Yeah, well, the hour-long thing seems like the defensive jobs of the people currently working on The Simpsons, which is yeah. if you're at the point of defending yourself directly, then maybe you should spend less time doing that and more time making television that people want to watch. Hmm. It's funny though because um, South Park, when they do an episode that's about the show South Park, it's usually great. Like that's one of their yeah. great strengths is sort of talking about themselves directly. And you get the South Park yeah. music, the movie is like about the Terrence and Phillips show doing a movie that is also a musical. Right. And like, and that works beautifully. And they have, what is it? The night of a thousand. Uh, well, we can't, uh, Mark doesn't want to bleep this out, but like the, the night of a thousand S words where it's about people saying the S word on TV and they do say the S word on TV. And that also works really, really well. The Simpsons can't do that. They've had a couple of like really, really meta episodes and they're always, they always feel really, really forced. They're not that good. They're not that funny. They should focus on other things. I don't know. Such as? You know what? I tend to like the, the episodes where the Simpsons go to another country. I don't know that I want to watch them at a greater rate than they've been coming out with them so far, but I haven't seen one of those that I've hated yet. 
Um, speaking of the Simpsons going to other countries, that one to me was actually, I want to talk very briefly at least about the Morgan Spurlock documentary that followed the episode. Um, that, well, the, the part about going to the other episodes, and Pete, you know, I'll let you air your grievances in a moment, but that at least was one of the more interesting parts to me, or at least like, hey, I learned something now that I didn't know about the Simpsons, specifically about the controversy with Brazil, and also about how um, the two towns in Scotland, like it was like Glasgow and Aberdeen, we're fighting over the lineage of groundskeeper Willie, which to me <laughs> yeah. seems like a very strange thing uh, to want to claim, you know, groundskeeper Willie coming from your, uh, from your town. Um, the rest of it though, pretty much just a, a propaganda piece for Fox, right? Yeah. That video belonged being shown at like the annual meeting of the people who produced the Simpsons in their sort of corporate offices. Like that was a corporate communication video. And I should know because I know what corporate <laughs> communication videos are like. Uh, but yeah, that was definitely like a, hey, aren't we all awesome? Let's celebrate our success. Like the fact that one of the first things it does is refer to the executive producer of The Simpsons as a TV legend is like just make me want to vomit. I'm sorry. It was just so bad. <laughs> so bad. Like there are a couple moments in there that I thought were really, really funny. And I don't necessarily think that they were that way on purpose. But my, my favorite moment of the whole thing is after they visit the house of the crazy guy in England with all the Simpsons memorabilia, oh, yeah. which is just like, oh my Christ. Like, because they go systematically through all the things about the Simpsons that don't really matter, but that make them a lot of money, right? So it's like, oh, look at all the merchandise. Like, everyone's a fan. We get tattoos. Everyone loves our show. Like, we don't really know why, but it's awesome. And, and like, the funniest part is when, like, they show his wife, right? And I, I, everyone I was in... I, I was watching the show, and the person I was watching the show with also went like, Ooh! like, oh my God, he's got a wife. This is crazy. Like, how is he possibly have a wife? And the funniest part for me was when they panned into her room, and her room is full of teddy bears. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, who would marry the guy who was like a crazy man who has 30,000 pieces of assistant memorabilia? Oh, that crazy lady. Oh, it was kind of heartwarming, you know? It really like, was. <laughs> they found each other. It should have been a match.com ad right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what I said during that segment was, hey, you know who had the largest collection of Simpsons toys, memorabilia ever? The warehouse where they put the Simpsons memorabilia after they manufacture it. <laughs> like, it has, like, 100,000 pieces of Simpsons memorabilia. Um, yeah, but it has, like, the, the Staten Island dump has, like, many more pieces of Simpsons memorabilia. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny. And I thought that the, the Aberdeen versus Glasgow thing was funny too. But I definitely think that it was like a show about the, the how the business of The Simpsons has been successful enough that the people who make The Simpsons can pat themselves on the back for it. Yeah, pretty um, much. I will, I will give and credit. Like the fact when they were like, what would the world, remember, what would the world be like without The Simpsons? And they were all like, I would have less money. Like, I would have less money. I would, I would. I have a less attractive wife. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was dark, man. <laughs> yeah. I give credit for for being honest, though. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. Here's what I will give credit for that documentary for: is that it made me really want to see a properly done Simpsons documentary, which dug much deeper into uh, the Simpsons' meaning in pop culture, and obviously, of course, into this whole controversy about its supposed decline in quality as well. I would really want to see that. Mm. I'd buy that for a dollar. I wouldn't want it hosted by Morgan Spurlock, though. I want it hosted no, by no. Mike Rowe. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to see. Uh, I want to see it hosted by Michael Moore. So it's just like him standing outside uh, Fox and shouting about <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, <laughs> it's Homer and me. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, indeed. Okay. Um, any other last thoughts about that, that that episode that we just saw? It's metaphorical or surface meanings or the documentary. 
Oh, one more thing that I wanted to bring up is that, uh, so the central conceit is that Anne Hathaway's character has grown up watching Krusty the Clown and is now old enough to have sex with him, which is creepy, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. when you figure this is the 20th uh, anniversary, you know, uh, episode of The Simpsons. So, like, the not too thinly veiled subtext is people who started watching The Simpsons when they were, you know, one are now old enough to have sex with Matt Groening. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, that, that very much parallels, I would say, uh, the three of us who are, you know, were born in the early 80s, right? And we're young children when The Simpsons started on the air, and now we are um, somewhat functioning adults. Now, so that, you're <laughs> right. Hey, yeah. hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Are we talking about how you're a functioning adult, Jordan? Were you going to make that point or that you're not a functioning adult? Yeah, yeah. Are hey, you you're, you're on adult? this podcast. I call that a, a high level of functionality. <laughs> yeah. It's not a bug, it's a feature. I'll yeah. tell you that much. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say that the one thing that struck me about that episode more than anything else, and I don't watch The Simpsons that much, so that, as I've said, I've only really watched maybe like a dozen episodes over the you know, years. Sorry, just up to a minute real quick. We should probably just disclaim that I think the three of us combined, uh, the three of us are not the largest Simpsons watchers um, in the world or even in the amongst the staff of or thinking it writers as well. But we're the ones who showed up, gosh darn it, we're the ones who <laughs> exactly. showed up to the podcast. So we're going to entertain you with our insights into this show that you like more than we do. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'm I going to say that one thing that really struck me was the characters in this episode were so far away from what I remember the Simpsons characters being about. I mean, it's probably been a long, strange trip through various evolutions, but like the, their motivations were so different. You know what I mean? Like, when I think about what Bart Simpson was like in the early days of The Simpsons, or even, like, when I think about, if you were to describe Bart Simpson to me, like, he doesn't strike me as somebody who would sit and watch a television show that he finds boring or offensive. You know, like, he wouldn't, like, complain about it. He would, like, you know, do something about it. Or he would go skateboard. He'd do, do something else. Like, he'd switch the channel. He would be bored. Or, like, he would, you know, he would be, he's, he's a child, right? Like, he's a, he's a mischievous child who's very selfish and says what he thinks. Uh, and his yeah. sort of problem is that, like, he says the things that children aren't supposed to say, and that's, like, part of his character, right? And they actually, um, they did that in, a, in an earlier episode where Marge writes in and gets uh, itchy and scratchy, toned down, and it's, uh, they don't hurt each other anymore, and Bart and all the other children stop watching the show and they go outside and play, is what happens. Right, So right. You're, you're absolutely right. Right, right. So that's very out of character for Bart, and Millhouse, of course, doesn't really do anything except make lots of jokes and stuff. Lisa, of course, doesn't have any of the complexity that I remember her character having. Or any of the sort of like like um, sense of self empowerment juxtaposed with the sense of being a little girl. It was like, she, I mean, granted, they, what she did sort of supported the themes of the episode in an important way. But like, I didn't really, I didn't really necessarily buy her part in the episode in, in a meaningful way. She, she lacked an important element of her character. That yeah, so she went along with the, with the, with the with the craze instead of you know, standing up for her minority beliefs, essentially. Yeah. And usually she does that in sort of a hypocritical, or often she does it in sort of a hypocritical fashion where she'll stand mm -hmm. up for her own beliefs and then she'll buy into the craze anyway. Right. Yeah. But she sort of, I mean, she didn't do that in a meaningful way and that wasn't really all that interesting. Like it wasn't an episode that gave the Simpsons characters interesting things to do that were in character for them. Um, like the plot, I mean, I guess because it was focused on Krusty, I guess, but like what he did didn't really make any sense either. I mean, it just sort of came out of nowhere. There wasn't a lot of drama or attention to what he was doing. 
Um, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, oh, I'm going to marry her. I'm not going to marry her. I love her. I don't love her. I mean, I understand why he wants to get with a woman who's like 30 years younger than he is. I mean, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but like, it still seemed pretty capricious. So yeah, yeah. I didn't really get it. It seemed like it was a Simpson episode that was supposed to be kind of dramatic, right? Because there wasn't, a, it wasn't like a sort of bonkers comedy plot. Like these were, these were about relationships, um, but there wasn't really a lot of dramatic energy behind what was going on. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it felt kind of like a, uh, a, a medieval morality play. And that, like, you, yeah, can, you yeah. can pick it apart as an allegory and talk about it as an allegory, but if you take it as straight drama, it's pretty weak sauce, right? Yeah, yeah. damn straight. Oh, darn straight. You can't well, believe that, Mark. I, I think, I think <laughs> you'll get by straight. with Dan. Don't. Oh. <laughs> God, don't it. Um, uh, do, do you think that um, this is going to be picked up in a future plot, as a plot point in a future episode, the fact that Krusty is with Anne Hathaway, or is this going to be discarded, or not right. even mentioned at all? I mean, I'm pretty sure that it'll just be discarded and never mentioned at all. I would personally love it, love it to death, uh, if they had it be canon and kept it. I mean, clearly they can't, you know, they're not going to hire Anna Hathaway to be the voice actress all the time. But if the Krusty the Clown show permanently turned into this <laughs> lovey-dovey, like, uh, musical hour with uh, with him and his young wife and the unicorn, I think that would be Brilliant. I mean, <laughs> that would be kind of cool. What a, what a giant middle finger to all of the the worst episode ever types being like, you know what? That show is still going to be the musical Unicorn Hour, and we're going to keep doing the Latter Day Simpsons that you seem to hate so much. We're not going to change it. That happened. <laughs> like, move on. Well, just yeah. briefly to detour on that for a moment. Like, there have been very few major plot shifts in the Simpsons that have stuck. Right. Obviously, the death of Maude Flanders being one of them. I, I don't know of a whole lot of others off the top of my head. Of plot, of plot changes in the sense that have, that have stuck? Yeah. I mean, the, the other couple of characters... Oh, sorry, say it again? Oh, I said it's hard for me to say because I haven't watched the freaking yeah. show. So the I, other I characters know. that died stayed dead. Like, Bleeding Gums Murphy hasn't come back, right? Um, but, you know... Basically none. Really, basically none. The all the Phil Hartman characters they just dis- disappeared. But they never came back, as opposed to were killed off in the show. Because yeah. Phil Hartman was, yeah. Well, let's not go there. No, every single one of Phil Hartman's characters was shot by his character's <laughs> wife on the show <laughs> oh, in one episode. You, you went there. Thank you. <laughs> what? Awesome. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to cool. You may know me for such films as. But never mind. You know who, uh, who has continuity within The Simpsons is Sideshow Bob. All of the new information we get about Sideshow Bob tends to stick. And like members of his family that are introduced are back the next time that there's a Sideshow Bob episode. Well, Sideshow Bob's a very dramatic character, so that makes sense. Yeah. That he has a, a dramatic arc rather than a comedic arc, where the things that happen to him change things. And like, and matter. Things that happen. Right? Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so I, I guess let's let's open it up then into the larger discussion that we've been hitting on here and there up until this point, which is basically the arc of the twenty years of The Simpsons and its theoretical or actual decline in quality over the twenty years. It seems like all of us are, for the most part, in disagree in, in sorry in agreement about the decline in quality, but maybe perhaps differ in our degree to which we excuse the show for those faults. I think I would probably. Uh, be more uh, you know, less critical of of it for deviating in, in various ways, and you know, d- largely due to the fact of its twenty years. Um, I will acknowledge it, but perhaps you know, be a little more understanding of it. Um, but it sounds like Pete definitely is on the other side of that spectrum. Jordan, I don't know where you fall on that. I mean, I 
I definitely like some of those earlier episodes better. It's funny. I don't think of myself as a Simpsons fan anymore. I still have it on my TiVo queue, and I watch it basically basically every week that it gets recorded for me, you know? Um, but I don't watch it with any sense of expectation or hope. It's just like if there is nothing else to watch and I feel like watching uh, TV, which usually happens for at least half an hour every week, I'll, I'll watch The Simpsons. You know, mm. maybe check my email while I'm doing it. You check your email while you're doing it? <laughs> Well, you know, actually, what? let's rewind a little bit for you a minute. <laughs> let's rewind a few years ago to the Simpsons movie, which mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember when it came out. Was that 2008 or 2007? I don't know. I think fairly... it came out in both years and you just developed a resistance to it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is very possible. But um, I seem to recall the Simpsons movie was fairly well received. I could be, again, I could be just, you know, just losing my mind and conflating things. But, you know... The, it was that, 2007, by the way. It was so it was before overthinking was around. So it was before we were probably able to have, you know, a uh, a well-thought-out and recorded and cogent conversation about its relative merits. But that that, that movie came out, and I remember enjoying that a lot and thinking that the, the general consensus was that it was uh, both true to the movie and uh, enjoyable as well. I don't know if that's what the, mm. the opinion you guys had. I mean, I saw it, and I liked it. I mean, I thought the Simpsons movie was pretty good. I thought that it didn't uh, sort of transcend the TV show, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, like, a good example of a, of a movie that transcends the TV show is uh, the DuckTales Legend of the Lost Lamp movie, right? And, like, you've all, you've all seen movies like this, where you watch the cartoon movie, and it's got this sort of weird, like, everything's a little more shaded and gradient, like the cells on it's flat, like it looks a little bit fancier, and you mm. get the sense that you're watching something of, like, a higher level of quality than what you would normally be watching. Um, yeah, and it's like the lighting is a little bit different, like, oh, this is a movie. Like, The Simpsons, the movie, looks a fair amount like The Simpsons, the show. It's got some more 3D effects, which they make fun of in a very funny way. Mm. Um, but I think that The Simpsons, the movie... Uh, it was sort of a lot like the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie in that it was like a long episode of the show. Uh, and that is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, although for the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie, it was like eight episodes of the show, whereas the Simpsons movie was like three episodes of the <laughs> yeah, show. Right, right. Um, and it's to a different level of absurdity. But I think that, that there's an interesting, um, there's a lot of different periods in the Simpsons evolution and, and what the relationship between the characters and their environment is. And the Simpsons movie definitely captures a certain specific moment in the Simpsons world and, and relationship to the world, where the Simpsons are sort of fighting against Springfield and the existence of Springfield in certain ways. Like, they have, like, sort of almost a cataclysmic relationship with the town, where, like, almost everything they do seems to, like, have massive effects on everybody who lives around them and everything that happens. Which is, I mean, I guess the original, like, archetype, archetypical scene from that is when they have their fight in that very, very early episode where the power goes out because they buzz each other with the buzzer so much. But most of the early Simpsons episodes aren't really like that. Right? It's only in the later Simpsons episodes that it's like, oh, there's going to be a giant geodome put over the entire city. You know, it's like, not really realistic, but, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of the humor is that in these absurd situations, the Simpsons characters themselves are very grounded in who they are and the way that they, they relate to it. And your sympathy with them is what helps propel you through the story. And they have to be very true to their characters in order for that to make any sense. And it's when the Simpsons characters drift and the story gets absurd that we get this, like, oh, the Simpsons suck now and they're awful. You know what I mean? Because um, originally the Simpsons was like, here is... Uh, a, a portrayal of what the American family is really like that nobody wants to show on television because they're actually kind of awful people to each other. And it's this subversive piece. Um, now, 
Lutz has, has implied and said a couple of times in our prep work and on the podcast that it's hard for them to stay subversive because they've been on for TV so long mm-hmm. um, and because they've become sort of corporatized. And I mean, I think that that's, some, that's demonstrably true in certain ways, but at the same time, I think there have been other changes that happened to it as well. And it just became about something entirely different independently of it being like on for a long time. Like they just didn't make that show anymore. Um, and they could have kept making it. Like, you know, Mike Judge kept making his shows pretty much the same the whole time he was on TV. Yeah, he not, was sort of contemporary. Not 20 years long the whole time, though. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, what? Huh? Like, I think it's comparable. Well, I mean, they get canceled. You start another one, but still the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I agree with you both. I feel that, like, yeah, they definitely could have kept making that show, but I don't know that America would have kept watching that show for 20 years. Yeah. That's also true. That's definitely true. Yeah, and 20 I, I, years I is a really long time for a TV show to be on. I just want yeah. to put that out there. I mean, uh, if you just think of like even like Star Trek: The Next Generation, was it seven episodes, seven seasons of that, and how difficult it was to keep things fresh with that and reconcile and still keep the characters consistent, all that sort of thing. Again, not excusing the moments in The Simpsons where they have you know convoluted character things, and I think um, you, know, you know the uh, the piece that the guest piece that we ran on on the site this. Um, this week, there's certainly some legitimate arguments against what he's saying there, but um, a lot of the points he was making about inconsistencies in characters um, are good points, and it definitely does undermine our sense of consistency with the show. Um, but, tw- again, going back, what else can I say except 20 years is a long time. And what, what I, what I want to turn this conversation to a little bit here, if I can, is this idea about franchises, and they last so long. Really, what do you do? With them, how how do you how do you keep it fresh? And is this kind of their sort of inevitability of the franchise to head in this direction? If you think actually, um, if you think about the peak rock or the peak oil theory, in that you know you have something new, you quickly exploit it, and then um, after that, you know the supply of it keeps dwindling and dwindling and dwindling, um, and so you're, you're you know you're left with just the scraps of the original idea. Yeah, or I mean. Like- to say that there's a finite amount of uh, of good out there that you can use up is maybe like a, a little hard for me to buy. But just uh, if you if you take Sturgeon's lot, right, that ninety percent of everything is uh, is crap, and then say as something exists over time, it will by the laws of statistics drift down into the middle, right? Mm-hmm. For something to stay at the top of its game for twenty years is really, really, basically impossible. Like name name anyone. Name a human being who has stayed at the top of their game for 20 years. Like, all, all the people who are complaining that The Simpsons changed over the past 20 years. Hey, you yourself changed an awful lot over the past 20 years, you know? But Bob, Shaq, Shaq is the most awesome ever. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not. He's a broken down old man. No, he's great. Shaq is wonderful, and I, I admire everything he does in life, especially Kazam. Um, okay, Shaq yeah. deal. Shaq's deal. Hey, you know what yeah, I saw yeah. uh, on TV the other day, like five minutes of each, but still, it was a, a strange five minutes of each to see. I saw five minutes of Under Siege, and then I saw five minutes of Steven Seagal, Lawman. Oh. <laughs> How was that, by the way? How's Lawman? Uh, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> confusing, <laughs> I'd have to say it's confusing. Okay. So here's a bit of perspective. Like, here's, here's a bit of perspective for you on, like, 20 years of television. Right. The, from the very first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation to the cancellation of Star Trek Enterprise is 18 years. Wow. Mm. So, so Star Trek ran four series that are more or less continuously. 
right? Like, like pretty much straight from one to the other with maybe like a year off here or there. Some of them even overlapping, uh, usually overlapping, I think. Um, and then they, and they made like 18 years of TV off of more or less the same idea and they change it and they, they make adjustments and they evolve it. But like, that's still less time on television than the Simpsons has been on, which is pretty amazing when you think about no, it. No, hold on a second. Um, We're talking about completely comparing apples and oranges here though, because from that time you had Star Trek, the next generation, D space nine Voyager and enterprise with, you know, completely yeah. new casts at each, at each point, different time periods, different settings, all these things. Yeah, well, but like, I don't think it's because I think it's a it's a franchise. I mean, what you were asking about was the how to pres preserve a franchise that's running for a long time. And one way that you can do it is you can relaunch the series with a different look, right? Now, I think that you can look at maybe not Enterprise because that one is where you go way off the reservation. But I do think that there's a certain aesthetic continuity between the Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. And even though you change the cast, and even though you change the circumstances, you're still doing a lot of the same show, right, over and over and over again. Uh, and you're certainly using a lot of the same costumes, you know, using a lot of the same sets, a lot of the aesthetic values are the same, the lighting is almost always the same. Um, Music you know, is things interchangeable, like that. you know. Yeah, and, and, and it's very yeah. I think that, what? I mean, it's not that you're comparing apples and oranges, it's that, like, if you're setting this up as a fight, then the Simpsons is going in there with one hand tied behind their back because they're not doing any of this stuff. Right? There's a huge advantage that the Trek creative team or creative teams, whatever, had is that they have different settings, different characters. Like they don't need to do the the groundskeeper Willie episode because they can do the you know um, random character from Voyager who's a part of the main Voyager cast episode. Right. Like they, yeah. they have that uh, that refreshing of the of the cast and the creative team and everything like that. The Simpsons has just been slogging through. Hmm. I mean, a great another example of how to do it is, is probably the best example of, of how to achieve TV longevity is uh, Doctor Who. Right. Which and they, they actually do the same thing where they get a new cast. They actually like regenerate the main character and replace him with a different actor. And they're constantly rotating the actors on that show and bringing in new people periodically to revive the show, bring in fresh blood. Um, I mean, maybe one of the problems with these shows is they become kind of like games of telephone where people are imitating the people that came before them. And then people are imitating the people who are imitating the people who came before them. And you're trying to hold on to something essential about the, the, the initial, well, maybe not even the initial, but even the classic era of a series where you think that the series was at its best. And, and sort of the more that it becomes layers of imitation and the less it becomes the sort of fresh creation of new art, which at the same time is always based on previous art. So it's not like it's totally new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? But you, you have to have that vital energy of creating something new in order for it to be interesting to watch a lot of the time. Um, and, and so the more that you get into imitating yourself and imitating the people who came before you, um, the less that, that vi the more that that vitality is at risk, um, that sort of that imminence of artistic creation, um, which is important, even in something like The Simpsons, you know, which is a, at this point a corporate property that is being pumped out, you know, sort of like, um, you know, mildly joyful, but mostly, mostly satisfactory marital sex. It's like you sort of pound it out. At like a regular interval, and it's like satisfying, and everything's going along fine, and maybe you have a couple kids along the way, and whatever you have to pay for their college educations. Like, great, you made a bunch of money; it's fine. Hmm. So. This, is, uh, this is basically the uh, the Ibn Khaldun and Edward Gibbon theory of empire, right? That like at the beginning they have martial vigor and they sweep in and conquer everything, and then they sit down. And everyone gets a little bit fat and everyone gets a little bit lazy, and eventually you'll get invaded by barbarians, and the cycle repeats itself. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I guess, an extension of a personal relationship, right? It's the extension of the life cycle of man and, and using that as an overlay for an outlook on history, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, so maybe we evaluate the Simpsons in many of the much the same way we evaluate ourselves. Yeah, like, maybe, maybe it's not that uh, it's not that like we really think that the Simpsons has gone downhill. It's just that we really wish that we were freshmen in college again, right? <laughs> 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 well, going back to that analogy you presented there, Jordan, I think the, the barbarians have already invaded Family Guy, South Park, yet the Empire still stands in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, but empires can take a long time to go away. Right. Right. Eventually, what's going to happen is uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are going to get hired to be the head writers on The Simpsons. And at that point, it'll split and you'll have like the Eastern Simpsons uh, and Western (laughs) Simpsons. And then, uh, of course, the third crucial is the Black Death. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I like this. No, I I think what I wanted to talk about, this is a good segue to um, to a, a, a. well, at least somewhat thoughtful discussion of what we think actually will happen to the Simpsons um, in the next five, God forbid, ten years of it. Is the Simpsons really immortal, I think, is the thing that I really want to get at here. Well, of course not. Nothing lasts forever. Even cold November rain. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to live forever when love must die? Like, Prince of the Universe. Like, come on. <laughs> well, let, me, let, me, let me posit this. We're going to go out on a limb here and make a prediction that um, maybe The Simpsons as a show, as a week, as a, you know, new episodes being pumped out in the way that they are now, that might not exist. But The Simpsons as a franchise and the characters will exist. Um, somewhat analogously to Mickey Mouse as a character still exists or Bugs Bunny still exists today and space jam to bar something that jordan mentioned earlier space jam came out a new bugs yeah. bunny movie came out a few years ago it actually happened it uh, may happen uh, again more than a few years ago actually space jam was a long time ago buddy yeah but uh but looney tunes back in action was uh was more recent than that right i think so let me see yeah. when was that and I'm sure there will. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there will be another one. Like Space Jam. Yeah, Space Jam it's been a while since yeah. Space Jam, but it's been much longer since the time when Bugs Bunny was like in active production, and there was always a new Bugs Bunny thing being made all the time. Right. And in a way, like the the Simpsons has a lot more stacked against it than Bugs Bunny did because most of the Bugs Bunny things are shorts, right? Like yeah. they could have kept making Bugs Bunny shorts. Um, but I kind of I agree with you on that, Mark. I think that like. That as kind of a corporate mascot for Fox TV, if nothing else, uh, The Simpsons will probably be around literally, uh, well, as long as Fox is around, you know. If, if, uh, so are we looking at like in like 30 years, are we looking forward to like the sort of Haley Joel Osment reinterpretation of Bart Simpson, much like we looked at the Robert Downey Jr. reinterpretation of Sherlock Holmes? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> the, edgy, the edgier and darker, right? Yeah, I guess it would be like Fred, Freddie Prinze the Fourth is going to voice Bart Simpson um, in the future. But yeah, I mean, I guess because Sherlock Holmes is a character who's had it certainly had more than a hundred years of commercial vitality. And I guess being in shorts is kind of a useful useful weapon in that sense because you can't. It does help crystallize your character. It's you don't get fatigued by the need to continually create dramatic arcs that cause your character to change and then undo them. If the stories are short, um, then you can sort of like, maintain uh, like- the clarity. Yeah, or like The Simpsons, none of the stories has any kind of lasting, you know, weight, right? That always resets to zero. You don't have, like, I mean, for all that uh, that guest post was saying that The Simpsons has accumulated a lot of baggage, it hasn't accumulated baggage in the same way that uh, that something with a continuing plot line Like Star Trek. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, one of the aesthetic things that I think w- that was a really good choice about the sort of middling Simpsons years where we've sort of seen what people would perceive as a decline is that they did get really good at crafting a show that reset every week. Like, mm-hmm. to the point where you really, like, bought in on it. And were like, I think you were on the same team as them. Like, they'd be like, oh, like, the whole world has been destroyed. Like, oh, we're going to start over tomorrow, you know? And it's, it's sort of like, oh, that's great, that's fine. And it's funny. <laughs> and it's, it's part of the picture. It's different the way than, say, like, Family Guy would do it. Where you they really are doing it in sort of like throwing up their hands kind of way, like, well, I guess we wrote ourselves into a corner. But with the Simpsons, there's this expectation um, that there is going to be renewal, and I think that that has something to do with the way that they constructed their world, and I think that's cool. There is a, a great episode, or at least a great joke, um, where Homer has gotten a job as a internet uh, fly-by-night minister, and he's marrying uh, homosexuals in Springfield because they passed a law allowing that. And uh, that's, I mean, wow, I really haven't watched a lot of Simpsons. <laughs> and it's anyway, it's interesting. What happens is, uh, I thought this was actually a very good episode because uh, one of Marge's sisters. Uh, outs herself as a lesbian and she wants to marry a woman and uh, Marge, who is usually the voice of reason um, has serious moral objections to this and she has to kind of wrestle with her inner demons and they, they, uh, they approach it in I think a very kind of fair and respectful way you know like clearly the show is on the side of gay marriage but they don't make a by just by having marge be the person who's against it they're uh giving a lot of respect to the other side of the argument and uh no one is made to to look like a, a loon and uh you know love and family triumph at the end but anyway after all of that uh dissolves Homer says, and that's the end of my uh, of my career as a minister. And Bart just looks at the camera and says, "Why? <laughs> because, like, <laughs> nothing, nothing has happened that should uh, yeah. that should prevent him from continuing to do this like for the rest of his life. He's making a lot more money than he was uh, before." <laughs> it's interesting you, you mm. bring that up. Uh, I want to make a brief tangent into the post that I wrote for for Dover Thinking at Week about the Simpsons' response to the financial crisis. And the foreclosure episode, which ended, and I thought in a, in a very much like a, just a Flanders ex machina machina kind of <laughs> way, um, without any sort of uh, wink, like you just mentioned there, saying like, "Is that it?" kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was really laughably easy how how they how, it was laughably easy how easy laughably uh, ridiculous how easily they got out of the situation. There was no nod to how ridiculous that was, and I don't know maybe if that if that is. That isn't a reasonable expectation for them to always do that, or if it's just oh, accept that it's Flanders ex machina and just move on with their lives. I feel like, especially when the family is facing a problem that has wrecked realer families than them, to just uh, hand wave it away is a little bit irresponsible. You know, that was like, my that was my feeling as well too. But I was um, I don't know if you guys have seen this episode that I'm talking about. I don't know. I, I don't saw it. Not. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, if uh, if any of you listeners have um, have seen this episode, definitely either you know comment on that article that's on the, on the site or on the show notes as well here as well. Are there any last thoughts before we wrap up uh, this podcast and do for thinking it week? Um. Yeah. Sure. I mean, the thing about the Simpsons is that like. I wonder how much of our attitudes about it over the long term are affected by the way that we were introduced to it when we first came across it. Like, how much of what we feel about The Simpsons is dictated by what we thought about it a long time ago? 
Um, like, for example, I think a gr- for me, a great deal of the awesome-tude energy around The Simpsons still comes from that upright arcade game where, like, Lisa has the jump rope <laughs> and, like, Homer is play- oh, which man. is awesome. That was so awesome. And that was, like, most of my exposure to The Simpsons because I didn't watch the show, like, when I was really little. So, like, for me, like, a lot of the sense of whimsy and awesome-tude from The Simpsons is based on that totally awesome Ninja Turtles rip-off fighting game, like that beam up <laughs> Um, like, like for you guys, if you think about the way you think about the Simpsons now, like how is it different from or the same as the way you thought about it when you were first exposed to it? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not quite the same. I don't know if anyone in the world has quite that relationship to The Simpsons other than you. But I definitely, when I'm sort of uh, dividing my experience of The Simpsons, there's the period when basically all the episodes I saw were new episodes, um, so like either before it was in syndication or before I was like ever watching it in syndication. And then there's the time when any time I turn on the TV, basically, if I channel surf for like long enough, I can watch an episode of The Simpsons. Right. And like it used to be that a new episode of The Simpsons was something that I got a little bit excited about. It was kind of an event. And then it just like once it went into syndication, that to me is when the quality fell off. And I mean, I don't know if it really did fall off or it's just that suddenly because it's always available, I no longer really care about there being a new episode. So I think that, you know, what what you're saying is true. I I will say that, Pete, I actually share your affinity to that arcade game. And I'm thinking about like the aesthetic quality of The Simpsons and how it changed over the years into something that was pretty rough around the edges, um, both in terms of the animated show as well as the video game, like its pixelation Mm -hmm. and the crude... Uh, animation sequence where Marge uses the vacuum cleaner to beat things. Um, (laughs) How all of that kind of roughness has really fallen away and has been much more fine polished into both what we see in the animated um, television show today, the feature film, obviously, and any other video games and other spinoffs that we get of The Simpsons now. I I think that pretty much... Simpsons Road Rage? That was a long time ago. Simpsons Road Rage... (laughs) You know what I remember about that game is that you could uh, you could have the characters like stack up on top of each other, right? And sometimes this would make sense. Like Bart would uh, climb on Homer's shoulders, and then Homer would be running around beating people up while like Bart fired from a distance with a slingshot or something like that. But because they had to have a way for all of the characters to be like compatible, so that you could play as any character, Bart and Lisa holding it would just be like they would uh, join hands and get kind of scary faces uh, expressions on their faces and run around like. Like clotheslining people, which when you think it's a couple of like you know uh, knee high children clotheslining grown men, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> I also love Bart versus the Space Mutants, which was a huge, ridiculous Kafka-esque nightmare of a video game. <laughs> <laughs> it's they live, the movie they live, where he could see the glasses with the glasses, he could see the aliens, and that thing was freaking impossible. But yeah, it's anyway. like it's horrible to play, but in a way the like terrible, terrible interface adds to the sense of nightmarish dread, right? Yeah. That, like, you know that the aliens are going to win, both because they've already infiltrated society and because you can't even jump over. <laughs> wow. And, and on that note, I think let's call, let's call the show, let's call the Simpsons week, let's declare an end to dope for thinking it. Um, until 20 years from now, when we have the 40th anniversary <laughs> of The Simpsons, we're going to come back and complain about how The Simpsons 20 years ago was actually pretty good. What do you say about that? Tell If you have something to say about that, you should email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. You should call, leave us a voicemail at 20-EAT-LOG-01. That's 
285-6401. Call early, call often, leave voicemails. Don't forget your latitude and longitude as well. Uh, leave a comment on the show notes on any of the uh, past articles on Doe Overthinking It from the past week about overthinking The Simpsons and all various aspects of it. And, of course, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Do 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 do.